All right, Habakkuk 2. Where am I? I'm clicking. I'm good. All right, we're good. Habakkuk 2. Okay, remember the book of Habakkuk, the prophecy of Habakkuk. The whole thing revolves around these two main questions. And these questions are, number one, why do good people suffer? And number two, is God truly reigning in goodness and power? And in Habakkuk, we get the answers. The answers are, number one, we don't know. And number two, yes. Yes, God is truly reigning in goodness and power. And so last Sunday, we talked about lament. Remember, we talked about wrestling with God. And in, in Habakkuk 1, uh, the prophet is complaining to God. He's wrestling with God. He's asking God these tough questions. He's shaking his fist at God. Why all the injustice? Why all the unfairness? Why all this evil around us? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and conflict and wickedness. Why do you tolerate it? Remember, this was last Sunday. Nod your head if you remember. Okay, we're, we're there, okay? And then we heard the Lord's response. Everything is still very much in God's control. All of it. No matter how evil, no matter how wrong, no matter how unfair, no matter how chaotic it may seem, all of it is being controlled by our God. Verse 5, I am going to do something, God says. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, right? I'm going to raise up, God says, the most evil, worst, most horrible people on the planet. I'm going to bring them in here to punish you. That's God's answer. And it makes no sense to Habakkuk. He doesn't understand this at all. And he says, good people are suffering God and bad people are getting rich. What's the deal here? And then Habakkuk tries to explain things to God. He thinks maybe God missed a memo somewhere. And so Habakkuk is going to lay this thing out to the Lord. Starting in verse 14, Habakkuk says, All the people of the world are like these little helpless fish, and the evil Babylonians are dragging us out with their huge net. This massive and ruthless military machine, Habakkuk says, it's like this huge, unstoppable dragnet. And we're all being sucked in and destroyed, and the wicked Babylonians love it. We're like, we're like seven weeks away from moving into the new worship center. <laughs> Here's what I think is happening. You know when Jerry Jones... <laughs> When he knew he was building a new stadium, he stopped taking care of Texas Stadium. Y'all remember that? And everything fell apart. We're kind of doing that in here because we're like six or seven weeks away from moving back across the hall. So I'm sure Tim's working on this or no, he's, we're just, we're going to let it go. We'll try to get it fixed and it might get fixed and it might not. Can y'all see your Bibles over here? Y'all could sneak out and I wouldn't even know it. All right. Okay. Stay with me here. If all the lights go out, we're going to sit right here and keep reading Habakkuk, all right? <laughs> Amen. All right. Where was I? Okay, verse 15, right? They take great pleasure in these nets. They're rejoicing in these nets. Habakkuk's talking about the evil Babylonians. And their nets are like, it's their military. And it's their economy. And it's their structures of power and threat. Verse 16 says they're even worshiping their net. They're offering sacrifices to their military, and they burn incense to their, their kings and their systems. Why? Because they're all getting rich off of it. They have everything they want because of their net, Habakkuk says, at our expense. And then he says, God, how can you keep letting this happen? 
What about the wicked, Lord? What about the righteous? Those are Habakkuk's words at the end of chapter 1. Today, I want the Lord's words from Habakkuk 2 to move us just like they moved the prophet from speculation to action, from wondering to living, really living. All right, here's the Lord, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by their faith. The righteous will live by their faith. 1993, NFC Championship game. Cowboys versus the 49ers. If you're 30 years old or younger, raise your hand real high. 30 years old or younger. Okay, let me speak to you all just for a second. The Cowboys used to win playoff games. There was a time, a long time ago, when the Cowboys played in a lot of Super Bowls. So this is 1993. Does it matter if I walk over here? I don't want y'all to feel like I'm ignoring you. 1993, Cowboys and 49ers, they're playing in a championship game. The winner goes to the Super Bowl. So the Thursday night before the game, Jimmy Johnson, who was the coach of the Cowboys, Jimmy Johnson was driving from practice back to his home in North Dallas. He's listening to Randy Galloway on the radio on WBAP talking about the game that's coming up Sunday. And so Galloway's on the radio. He's breaking down the offense, the defense, 49ers, Cowboys. Here's the strengths. Here's the weaknesses. I'm going to make a prediction. Here's who's going to win the game. Jimmy Johnson's listening to this, gets on his phone, and calls from his car going down the North Dallas Tollway, calls into Randy Galloway, gets on the air, and says, the Cowboys are going to win this game. The Cowboys will beat the 49ers. The Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl. You can print it. You can put it in three-inch headlines. Some of y'all remember that? That made big news that a coach would say that out loud the Thursday before the game. I want you to put it in three-inch headlines. I think that's what God's doing right here. I think it's the same thing. He says, I'll answer your questions, Habakkuk. All these questions you've got about what's happening with the righteous and what are we going to do about the wicked. I'll answer that. And when I do, I want you to write it down. I want you to print it in these huge letters. Three-inch headlines. I want it so big and so clear, so big that anybody running by can read it. Or it could be translated so big that if somebody runs by with it, everybody can read it as it goes by. Either way, however you translate it, what it means is I want it big so everybody can see it. And write it on tablets, right? I want you to put it in stone. Habakkuk, this is going to be a timeless message of everlasting revelance. This is going to be a source of encouragement for generation after generation. So write it down. Three-inch headlines. Here it is. The answers are coming at the appointed time. My appointed time. In the end, what I say will not prove false. 
I know it seems like it's taking a long time, God says, but wait for it. You think it's slow. But God who sees all, God who knows all, God who is not bound by the restrictions of time and space, God says, it's happening. It's coming faster and more certainly than you can imagine. Wait for it. As for the wicked, they're going to get theirs. In the meantime, for the righteous, the righteous will live by their faith. Let me say a couple of things about that. That line, the righteous will live by their faith. This is a key verse. Okay, this is a foundational Christian concept. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. And we're going to look at those here in a second. But in Scripture, faith is not what you believe. Faith is what you do. Faith is how you act. It's not how you think. Remember those four guys in the Gospels who are digging through the roof so they can let their sick friend down to Jesus? Remember that story? All three times in the Gospels when they talk about that story, the line is Jesus saw their faith. He saw what they were doing. He saw their faith, right? Um, Exodus 12, right? I think it's Exodus 12. The Israelites are fighting the Amalekites in the desert, and they're winning as long as Moses has his hands up in prayer to the Lord. His hands are falling. Aaron and Hur get on either side. They hold his hands up. It says, steady. They hold his hands up. It says, high. No, it says, they hold his hands up faithfully by faith. Immunah, that's the Hebrew word. Jehoshaphat is appointing priest in 2 Chronicles 19, I believe. And he says, I want you to serve faithfully. Hosea tells Gomer, I will marry you in faithfulness. Faith is what you do. The, the faith ring of honor in Hebrews chapter 11, right? By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left his home and went to Canaan. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea over dry ground. By faith... They marched around Jericho. By faith, verse 33, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. It's not by faith Joseph had the correct interpretation of Scripture. Right? It's not by faith Mark had a correct understanding of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's not by faith God's people believed all the right things in exactly the, the correct way. No, it's by faith God's people sacrificed and blessed and proclaimed and led. Faith is what you do because of what you know. What you believe is not faith until you act on it. The righteous will, it says, live by their faith. In the 1860s, there was a French tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin would stretch a tightrope, a thin cable, across Niagara Falls. A couple of times a year, he'd walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and the crowds were tremendous. They'd come out and cheer him on. And Blondine would walk across the falls 160 feet above the water. He'd walk across the falls and back, and the crowds would be cheering, and he'd say, Do you believe? Do you believe that I can run a wheelbarrow across the falls and back? And all the crowd would say, yes, we believe. We want to see it. And so he would walk a wheelbarrow across that tiny cable and bring it back. And they'd be cheering. He's amazing. We can't believe it. And he'd say, do you believe 
that I can carry a dog in a wheelbarrow across the wire and back. And they'd say, yes, we believe. We want to see it. Please do it. And he'd do it. He'd put a dog in the wheelbarrow and he'd ride it across and he'd bring it back to falls. And the crowds would say, it's amazing. It's the most wonderful thing we've ever seen. Can you do it again? Yes. He says, do you believe that I can carry a man in this wheelbarrow all the way across the falls and back? And he'd say, yes, of course you can. We know you can. And he'd grab one of the guys and say, you get in the wheelbarrow. It's not faith until you act on it. It's not faith until you do something about it. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul is stunned by the suggestion that because we're justified by faith, it doesn't matter how we behave. It matters. It matters a lot how we live. The righteous will live by their faith. What you believe is proven by how you behave. And let me say this, when the Bible talks about life, when the Bible talks about living, it doesn't mean just existing, okay? That's not what the Bible means when it talks about life or living. When you look at the, the, the ancient Hebrew worldview that kind of informs and, and, uh, and gives us the Old Testament, the view is life does not mean, hey, this guy is eating and sleeping and waking up and he has a job and he's not killing anybody, okay? That's not life. Because according to the ancient Hebrew mindset, if you are sick, if you are weak, if you are in danger, if you have an enemy, if, if your reputation has been damaged, if anything is wrong in your life in any way, then you're not really living. Not if there's something wrong. To be alive in the Bible is to have strength and security and relationships and honor and total peace. And so Habakkuk 2 is not telling us how we can barely hang on to some feeble thread of existence during the difficult times. It's telling us how to be fully and richly alive, wholly alive during difficult times. The evil one who is puffed up, verse 4, his soul is not right within him. His soul is not true, it says. His soul is not correct, right? It's, it's, it's crooked. It's not straight. It's out of alignment. It's not complete, but the righteous, the righteous will live by their faith. In the middle of injustice and violence and conflict and strife, and when bad things happen to good people, how do the righteous live by faith? When we're surrounded by these puffed up crooked people who take whatever they want. Three things. Starting in verse 6, we live by faith in God's grace. Starting in verse 6 and going through the end of this chapter, God assures his people they will be saved and the wicked will be punished. It's going to happen. And he tells them that by giving them this picture of the future. He shows them exactly what everything's going to look like. And God gives his people these five woes. These five funeral dirges, these songs that the victorious will sing over the people who are conquered, these are worship songs. Remember we talked about this last week. These are songs that God gives us. And he's saying, I promise, as horrible as things look right now, as bad as things are today, by my grace, you're going to be okay. By my grace, you're going to have the last laugh. Verse 6, I want you to look at this. Verse 6, these people who are plundering you, God says at the end, you will plunder them. 
Verse 9. These people who build their fancy houses with unjust gains, at the end of the day, the stones of their walls will cry out against them. Verse 11. Even the trim work and the gutters and the crown molding, right? Every inch of this house will testify against their injustice. Verse 12, these people who build cities on the backs of the poor and the marginalized, in the end, you'll burn every bit of it down to the ground. Verse 15, these people who get their neighbors drunk so they can take advantage of them, they will drink of the cup of wrath from God's right hand. Look at verse 16, it's coming around. This is going to happen. And he tells us to go ahead and celebrate the enemy's death. God not only gives his persecuted people permission to dance this dance of victory, he gives us the words and the music. He says, go ahead and call things that are not as though they are because this is exactly what's going to happen. Rejoice today in God's ultimate defeat of sin and death. Be confident in the promise of God's ultimate victory and vindication for you of his ultimate justice for your world and for the whole world it's coming so live it live it that's how the preacher in hebrews breaks down habakkuk 2 at the end of hebrews chapter 10 listen to this do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones will live by faith. If they shrink back, I will not be pleased with them. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those who believe and are saved. This grace that God gives his people. This assurance of future deliverance and victory, that's what allows us to have a much larger and slower and more patient view of things. It gives us an attitude. It gives us a mindset that allows for God's justice and God's deliverance in God's perfect timing. We live by faith in God's grace. And secondly, we live in faith in God's glory. Right smack dab in the middle of these five woes, I want you to look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, i got to get to Habakkuk first. Verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's plan since day one, brothers and sisters, has been that the whole world will experience the glory of God. The visible, tangible, glorious presence of God. His love. His peace. His forgiveness. His acceptance. His glory. Throughout the whole world. And here in Habakkuk, God's plan, the, the part of the revelation that's going to take some time, it's for all the nations of the world to be blessed through Israel. God's using what's going to happen to Israel to restore all of creation back to him. So when the Israelites go into exile, they're going to preach God's salvation to all their captors. And eventually, the whole earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So living by faith means living in the knowledge that God's righteousness, God's salvation is for everybody. 
It's for the whole earth. That's how the Apostle Paul preaches Habakkuk 2 in Romans chapter 1. Listen to Paul in Romans 1, quoting from Habakkuk 2. He says, The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from beginning to end, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Church, that is God's glory. That is the beautiful thing about our God and His character and His name. That His righteousness is for everybody who will just say yes. Ephesians 1 tells us that God's plan, His, his will, the, the, the mystery of God and, and the purpose of God through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Ephesians 1, that it will be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. The appointed time, okay? To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's why God came to us. In Christ Jesus, to unite the entire world together in Him and to give us His righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right at the end of the chapter, we all are in Christ Jesus and He has become for us our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. It's a gift from God in Christ. It's nothing we do. This is all God's doing. Through Christ, God gives us His righteousness and His holiness. Church, that is the glory of God. That is the gospel. When the New Testament wants to summarize the good news, when it wants to give us the very heart of the gospel, it quotes Habakkuk 2. If you'll look just a page back, Galatians chapter 3, listen to the Apostle Paul. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because, here it is, the righteous will live by their faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise. Church, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ right here. That that. God's salvation is received and it's lived by faith, not by works. Living by faith means stop trying to please God by your works. Stop trying to please God by your own efforts. Instead, turn to Christ Jesus for the free gift of his righteousness. I hear older people, by older I mean older than me. I hear older people and people closer to the ends of their lives than I am. They'll say stuff, weird stuff like, I hope I've been good enough. And I look right at them and I say, you haven't been. And they'll say weird stuff like, I hope I've done enough. And I look right at them and I say, you haven't. You can't. That's not how it works. Our salvation is not what we do for God. It's what God is doing for us. Our salvation is not what we're doing for God, it's what we're receiving from God, right? That's God's glory, and it's a blessing for the whole world. The whole world, the righteous will live by faith. Faith in God's grace, faith in God's glory. And now here's the last thing. Faith in God's government. Faith in God's 
governments. And what I mean by that is God governs everything. It's the last verse in Habakkuk 2. These are the final words that God speaks to his prophet. Chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. We set this up earlier. I think if this verse is ever sung by God's people, it ought to be shouted. I think this is the most powerful verse in this book. I think this verse sums up and concludes the revelation from God. I think this is what gives Habakkuk the bottom line. And it's delivered as a contrast to the worship of idols. Look with me at verse 18. Of what value is an idol since a human has made it? Or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. All these woes against the puffed up crooked people. The woes are really against their self-reliance. They're depending on themselves instead of God. They trust in their own knowledge and power and wealth. Their faith and their security is in their own military achievements and their impressive empire. They put their faith in and they worship their own accomplishments. Listen to the Babylonian king. We've got a couple of quotes from him in Daniel chapter 4. Listen to him. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Listen to me. Whether we live in the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Roman Empire, or the American Empire, it is very easy to fall into this trap. We rely on and we give credit to almost anyone or anything except God. Our intelligence, our wealth, our strength, our military, our rights and freedoms, the things we have and the things we do, our systems and our structures, our accomplishments and our achievements. Church, let's call it what it is. That is idolatry. It is. That's the Babylonians worshiping the net. That's us making idols out of our stuff or the place we live or the way our government runs things. The Lord says an idol has no value because it's carved by a human. Verse 18, it can't speak. It can't come to life. It can't wake up. It can't give guidance. It has no breath. The idol is dead. In other words, worshiping an idol isn't just sin. It's useless. It's foolishness. But the Lord, here it is, however the Lord, there's the contrast. The Lord our God is in his holy temple. The Lord, our God, church, is alive. And he is powerful. And he reigns supreme forever in the eternal temple of the heavens. Our God is awake, and our God is speaking, and he gives guidance, and he is the one who gives the breath of life. Nobody has to wake our God up. 
Nobody has to rouse him to tell him to teach. Our God is already speaking. Close your mouths and listen to him. Stop insisting on your own ways and follow his ways. Stop working for your own righteousness and receive his righteousness. Put your own plans on hold for a while and wait for the plans of the Lord. This silence before the Lord, I don't think it's just reverence. And it's not just observed by God's chosen people. The the prophecy here, the demand, is that all people, right? You saw that. All the nations, all of creation, all of the earth, it says, participates in this silence before the the creator. I'm almost out of steam. (laughs) We're almost done. Listen. This silence is a posture of submission, okay? It's an act of acknowledging that God is sovereign over all. He alone is the giver of every good gift. He alone is the source of all wisdom and power. He alone is our security and our strength. He is our deliverance and our salvation. And so this silence before God means living by God's governance, It means open to his teaching. It means receptive to his guidance, obedient to his commands, accepting his plans for us and for the whole world according to his time frame. When he deems it so, empires will rise and fall. The Babylonian Empire, the Roman Empire, the American Empire. All empires will rise and fall, but the Lord is in his holy temple. God is on his holy throne. King of kings, Lord of lords. All the stuff going on around you right now, all the stuff in the world that's got you so upset, everything that's happening in your world right now that's unfair, painful, that seems wrong and hard, God is governing all of it from his holy temple. Pay attention. Submit to it. Follow it. God says, I've got it. I'm in charge of all of it. I love you. And I'm only interested in what's best for you. Trust me. Hey, church, we can put our faith in that. The righteous will live by their faith. That means living in the confidence of what God has done and believing that God will keep his promises for the future. It means living wholly and completely in the sovereign grace and glory and governance of our God. Stand with me, church. Let's pray together. Y'all pray with me. Father, we need more faith. I don't know how else to say it, Lord. Would you please give us more faith? Increase our faith so that we live in your grace, so that we live looking forward to your glory and in your glory that's already come and that we live under your governance, under your guidance, God. Give us faith to endure, to persevere through these difficult times. Father, every one of us, we've all got something. We've all got that thing. 
every one of us in this room. And so, Father, right now, in your presence, by the name of your son Jesus, please hear us as we lift up that thing that's going on in our own lives, God, as we give this this hard thing, this difficult thing, this unfair thing that's happened to us, God. We want to just give that to you right now. Would you please hear our prayer, God? And Father, would you, by your grace, would you please increase our faith? God, open our hearts, open our eyes, our ears to listen, to see, to understand, and to live by faith. Father, we give this to you in the name of our risen and coming Lord Jesus. And all the church says together, amen. Church, the Lord is in his holy temple. May all of us, everybody in Midland, everybody in the world, may all the earth submit to him and bow before him and live in his glory and his grace and his governance. Amen.